Love is a big deal in our world. It's what most great songs are about, right? It doesn't matter the generation or the genre of music you're into. Love tends to be the primary characteristic talked about in most lyrics. It, it happens to be what most great literature is about. Love's at the core. In fact, it's what great movies are about. Even for you action thriller kind of people, the great action thrillers in this world always have that love connection thing going on. I mean, love is a big deal in the human journey. And that's no surprise to God because it's how he wired us up. It's what he told us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. I mean, he makes love the whole deal. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and even have a faith that can actually move mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I become a great martyr for a great cause, surrender my body to the flames but, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is an unbelievably big deal in this world. It's a huge deal. And as we wrap up this series Instafam, where we're looking at the pictures that God has painted for us about what relationships and what family should be like, we had to make this the last chapter. It's all about love. And here's the truth. God designed the family in a very special way to provide what every human being needs most, love. That great thing that all of us need is what the family is supposed to provide, I mean, he said it right in the beginning when he created us. Look at Genesis 2, verse 18 and 24. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a partner for him, a helper suitable for him. And it's this, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and, and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And, of course, that term one flesh is dealing with love. It's dealing with an absolute intimacy, an absolute giving of oneself to another. The family was designed to provide what every one of us needs, love. You look at Ephesians 5. It's the great relationship passage starting with verse 21 and in the middle of talking about relationships. Look at what God says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and this isn't just a a command or a guideline to husbands. It's, it's in the context of all relationships, all relationships. Everyone in the family really needs to be loving one another. The family is supposed to provide what all of us need most, what most of us only get in songs, in stories, in movies. Love. Here's what we need to know. Great families, great families, and I think most of us have the dream of being a part of one or authoring one. Great families are created by great love. Now it sounds so simple. In fact, most of us would nod our head at that and say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, great families, great love. Okay, next. The only problem is, this isn't how we go about building great families. If, if you look at how we do family and what we're doing to try and provide great families, most of us working, working, working really hard in order to provide a great home, house, 
so we can have a great family. In order to have great prosperity so we can have a great family. Because everyone knows a great family needs prosperity so you can have security and get the education you need. We're, we're trying to provide great careers, not only for us, but for our kids in the future. And everyone knows that if you don't provide that, you're not a great family. Wrong. We, we do these things out of love. And there's nothing wrong with these things, but they're not what builds a great family. A great family is built by great love. Since that's the reality, I think it's important for us to see what God says about this thing called love in the context of family and relationships. And so I'm going to come at it from a bunch of different angles that God gives to us so that we can see it. And I, I want you to know, I believe that most of us embrace the idea of love in our families. Most of us have a significant amount of love for those in our families. But, but I just think culture and our own nature has kind of flipped upside down how we seek to communicate it and what we do with it. So what God says has really messed with me. Hopefully, it will mess with you in a positive way as well. Let's first of all look at what God says love should be. Let's look at love described. God describes what love should be. And I know if I was to put a microphone in your face, you know, and say, hey, what do you think love is, you know? I mean, we'd get all kinds of very interesting answers. But look at what God did when he got the microphone about love. 1 Corinthians 13. Right after he said, without love, even if you have everything else in the world, you've got nothing, he then describes love. Love is patient. All right, let's move to another subject, really, because uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not selfish. It's unselfish. It's not easily angered. Boy, is, are they talking about the same thing we experience in our families here? Really? not easily angered. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> wow. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It, it always protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. Love never fails. Now that's a description that puts it in a different light than our culture puts it, huh? Than we've experienced it. Out of that passage, I just wrote down to me what I think God is saying love embodies. Love embodies acceptance and commitment and loyalty. Love embodies sacrifice and tenderness, confidence and courage. It, it embodies comfort, support, forgiveness, failure. I mean, love embodies the whole thing. And God created the family to be the place in a world where these aren't often experienced, where, where we are provided with the love that we so desperately need. That's what the family's about. Now, I have to tell you, I believe that if you're going to look at human examples of this, then you could pick no better example than the, the person that we're celebrating on this particular weekend, mother. Because... because of all the different people involved in the family setting, in general, in general, mothers measure up to God's description of love better than anyone else. Wouldn't you agree with that? Now, it's true that not all mothers measure up to this because, quite frankly, all of us experience the darkness and the brokenness and the hurts and the pains of this world and some of us in bigger ways than others and it can create a brokenness that kind of robs 
even a wonderful, wonderful person of becoming the mother they want to become. And so, not all mothers represent this, but in general, I mean, this is a description of mom. And I just want to honor you who are mothers and who've invested this kind of love in the family. Because of you, our kids aren't more messed up, right? I mean, there, there's no perfect mom. But mom's a great example of this. Let's move to love demonstrated. I was just kind of talking about as I look at the family unit, the mom seems to stand out as the one who best demonstrates what God describes love to be. But, but I'm not alone in this. Because God does the same thing. And so you need to know I'm not just, you know, buttering you women up. But I'm just simply saying what God himself said when he wanted to demonstrate love. Look at Isaiah chapter 66 verse 13. It says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. When God was trying to give us something that we could wrap our heads around and our hands around as it relates to a demonstration of what his description of love was, he says, have you ever seen a a mom comforting her child? I mean, the tenderness and the strength and the sacrifice and the the faithfulness and all that goes into that moment. Have you ever seen that? Well, if you want to know what my love's like, it's like that. And God then paints in more stark and literal terms what his love was like. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, God demonstrates his love this way. You want to see a demonstration of love? Well, this is how God demonstrates his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, hating him, dismissing him, disrespecting him, disbelieving in him. While we were still trying to use him for our advantage rather than allowing him to use us for his good. He loved us so much he died for us. The description of love goes way beyond my natural experience. The demonstration of love really challenges me when I see both a quality investment of a mother and God's own investment of himself in us. It's a big deal. But man, have you ever experienced this kind of love? Wouldn't it compel you? Wouldn't it attract you? Wouldn't you embrace it? And yet, think about this. Most people aren't finding it. I had to ask myself a question when I got to this point in in my conceptualization of this talk. I had to say, why are so many people looking for love in all the wrong places when God made the right place, the family? I mean, why are so many looking for love in all the wrong places? It's an interesting question. There have been songs written about this. In fact, I've invited our creative team to come out and sing that song. No, I haven't. No way that song will ever be performed in this ministry as long as I'm alive. But, but people are looking for love in all the wrong places. They really are. Why is that? Well, it's because everyone needs love. So everyone's on a quest for love. Everyone's searching for love. This is a fact. And, and the reason we look for it in all the wrong places and from all the wrong people is because we're not finding it in the right place. The home. And I need you to know right on the front end, this is not one of those I'm going to beat you up talks. I never give those kind. But this is really meant to be an encouraging and affirming kind of a talk. But but we have to be honest, right? People are looking for love in the wrong places because they're not finding it in the right place. Now, that doesn't mean there's not love in their home, in their family. It doesn't mean that their moms and their dads Don't love them profoundly. It means for some reason, even if they're loved profoundly in the home by the parents, they're not experiencing the love. 
It's not being translated into their experience. They're not sensing it. They're not getting it for whatever reason, their fault or the parents' fault. They're not getting it. Because, you see, people tend to make their home where the love is. This is just a fact. And this is where we find our comfort. This is where we want to be because there's security and commitment. We can count on these people. I mean, we make our home where love is. So if they don't experience love in the home, then they're going to start looking for it in other places and from different people. It's just a fact. This is where gangs get their power and their draw from in the inner city. I mean, they're, they're finding a love, experiencing a love that they didn't find or experience in their home, even if it was there. This is where cults get their power and their attraction from because they come alongside these people who are feeling loveless, whether it's true or not, and, and they allow them to experience love and it draws them in and people make their home where they find their love. Here's the sad reality. Even in homes where there's a great love, it's possible for kids to miss it. And Roxanne and I experienced this. We, we know how much we loved our kids, but there were big seasons of their lives when they missed it. And so they weren't making their home with us. They were making their home with their peers and their friends. And that's where they were choosing it because for some reason they were missing it in our life. And I bet you've experienced this as well. And this isn't beating up anyone. It's just admitting a reality. And why is it? And I've had to answer the question for myself. And maybe it'll help you. I believe it's because... When you love your kids so profoundly and you live your lives in a sacrificial and committed way for them, you just assume they know there's no way you'd be doing this if you didn't love them. You assume they know that you wouldn't have ruined your life by having kids if you didn't love them, right? Oh, did I, did I say that out loud? I was... I mean, you just... You just assume they would know that you, you wouldn't make all these sacrifices if you didn't love them, that you wouldn't be doing all these things if you didn't love them. You assume that they should know. Of course they know I love them. But there are some things in our lives that we know we can't assume they know. Like, we can't assume they know education is important. No. There has never been a kid that I've met that popped out saying, I love math, I love math, let me go to school. There's never been a kid like that. I don't know, maybe some of you raised dysfunctional children that like school, but I certainly didn't. And I'm going to tell you, it's not like they knew the value of education. It's not like they said, here's what I want to do. I want to get up really, 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 really early in the morning so I have to go to bed really, really, really early at night and miss all the cool action in life because I love school. That's not how most kids are. And so we as parents don't assume that they love education, but that we know they need it, and so we pump it into their heads as a value, right? Education's important. You don't get an education, you'll never reach, reach, uh, realize your potential. You'll never reach your capacity. And I mean, you've got to do math, you've got to do math. I still don't know why, but you've got to do math, and you've got to do science, and you've got to know how to read. And, and so we you, you get good grades, go to school, get good grades, go to school. We say it all the time because we know they don't really prefer going to school. So they hear all about the value of education, but they don't hear about their value to us because we assume they know. Right? 
And we love them profoundly. We just don't say it as much as education. Then we teach them responsibility and respect and order and cleanliness and athletics and peace and quiet. All these things that we know don't come naturally to them. And because we assume they know we love them, we emphasize all these things and we don't emphasize that we love them. And what happens is they don't know. They can miss it. I know it happened in my home. I know it happens in yours. And it, what makes it even harder is the environment that we live in. I mean, it's not like most of us are rolling in economic prosperity. You know, most of us are having to work ourselves to the bones day and night to try and scrape by enough to provide shelter and the basics for our family and for ourselves, right? And, and life is busy even apart from work because the kids have education and all the things that culture and we think they need. And, and we have all this extra stuff going on in our life and responsibilities. And man, we're really, really busy. And what happens is it makes it hard for the home to be a center for experiencing love because the home becomes more of a, a hotel, a restaurant, and a bank. I mean, think about it. It's true. What's the only reason people go to hotels? Come on. It's like most of you are doing right now. That's exactly right. Uh, the reason most people go to hotels is to sleep and church. So, I mean, both. It's kind of similar. It's the only reason they go. And, and isn't that really one of the primary reasons we go home? That's like, you know, there's a bed there. Sleep. And... What's the only reason people go to restaurants? They only go to restaurants to eat, unless they work there. They only go to restaurants to eat, and isn't that one of the major things that draws family members home? You know, good night, there's food there, don't have to pay for it. And the bigger one, because in my house, my kids could find a place to sleep. In fact, they'd prefer to stay with their friends at times, and my kids could find a place to eat, good Twinkies, and they're making them again. I don't know if you heard that or not, but, you know, they could find some food. But, but the whole bank thing, it's not like their friends' parents would bankroll them, you know? It's not like their friends would bankroll them. And so when they ran short on the cash, that's when they came home. And, oh, my gosh, they were full of it. I mean, it was like they'd walk in the home, Dad, how long has it been since I told you you were awesome? <laughs> I'd say... Since the last time you needed money, what do you need now? <laughs> Bank it. And, and this is the American home, right? A place to sleep, a hotel, a place to eat, a restaurant, a place to get some finances, a bank. Let me just tell you something. I, I think you know this, but when you go to a hotel, you're going to get everything you need for a good night's sleep probably, but you're not going to get love. When you go to a restaurant, you're going to get everything you need for uh, a good meal or a bad meal. But you're not going to get love. Oh, they'll be nice, but they're doing it because you're going to cash in, you know. And when you go to a bank, I know, man, do they pretend like they love you. Can I just tell you they don't? All right. But you go for money. And this is what the home has become. Now, the home is filled with love. Most of us just absolutely love our kids, but, but that's not what we communicate. This is the place we sleep. This is the place we eat. And this is the place you get your finances. But it, it's far from the love center it needs to be. And there's nothing wrong with these things. We need to provide a place to sleep and eat and, 
and some finances. But, but here's the deal. They're not nearly as important as love. And yet these are emphasized more than love. In fact, the truth is, these things are often confused as love. And this is not because we want it to be. This isn't because we're insincere and bad people. It's because we get caught up in life and caught up in our culture and we get turned upside down by it. The things that we provide get confused as love. I know I have said this in the past, and I know a lot of parents who have said it as well, probably you. I'm working hard because I love my kids. I'm working this hard because I love my kids, and I want to provide what they need. And that's probably true for most of us. It's just that it doesn't translate that way to the kids. Now listen to me, because this is big. I know you probably love your kids immensely, but very often kids don't know it. Because do you know what says I love you more powerfully than anything else in the world? Being with them. Working hard to give them a great house doesn't communicate love to them. Working really hard to give them great food and great education and great opportunities doesn't communicate love to them. It communicates responsibility to them often, expectation to them often. What kids experience love through is when we make sacrifices on all the things that the world values so that we can be with them so they know we value them more than anything. That's where love's communicated, and it's not often. Remember, hotels, even the greatest hotels on the planet are very lonely places. And this is what the home has become. Often a very lonely place. We need to get it. When I read about love being described and love being demonstrated and then realize the reality of my life in this culture and the reality of so many who are like me in this culture, I, I say, wow, it's, it's really hard to deliver this kind of love in the family, you know? I mean, it's like, I mean, I'm in the real world here and gosh, the way God describes love sounds like a fairy tale instead of reality and the way he demonstrates it sounds like a fairy tale instead of reality. I mean, I, how can I do this? Well, well, the good news is God has told us how. Love's delivered. I mean, how do we deliver love? We're working so hard to deliver love by becoming the parents we need to become. We need to know everything. We need to be able to help them with their homework all the way into trigonometry, you know? We, we need to be able to provide the best education and preferably Ivy League, and we need to be able to give them a great house because, God forbid, they're embarrassed to bring their homes because we don't have a 5,000-square-foot home, and we, we need to provide great careers for them, or we're not great parents, and we're working so hard to be great parents, and that's not what it takes to communicate love. Nothing wrong with those things. Something wrong with thinking those are how you communicate love. Man, I've had to back up because I want to communicate love to my wife, to my kids, to the people I love. Of course I do. And what does God say about love delivered? He, he, he says it doesn't cost a thing. You know how you deliver love? By a look. By a look. Are you kidding me? Peter was sincerely a person who followed Jesus and loved Jesus, and he sincerely thought he could, you know, stand up to the worst tests. And Jesus came and said, I just need to tell you, Peter, you're going you're, you're gonna to really, you're going to really mess up. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter said, there's no way that's going to happen, yada, yada. And uh, sure enough, when the rooster crowed, he had denied him three times. Look what happened then. Luke chapter 22, verses 61 and 62. 
the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I read it wrong. I read it big time wrong. Because I live in a world where I know the look. Right? I'm looking at the look right now on some of your faces. I mean, I know the look. I know the look of disappointment, and I know the look of betrayal, and I know the look of judgment, and I know the look of I told you so. And I I read this, and I tend to go, wow, man, Peter got the look. But he wouldn't have gone out and wept bitterly if he got the look. Because, see, we're used to that look, and we know how to defend against it. We know how to rationalize against it, right? Man, when I get the look of betrayal, man, I know the look I'm going to give back. And when I give the, get the, the look of, of judgment, I, I know how to defend myself against that. But you know what I don't know how to defend myself against? The look of unconditional love when I know I don't deserve it. I don't know how to defend against that. It was against Jesus' character to look at Jesus in a negative way. Jesus looked at him with unconditional love, looked at him and loved him, and Peter couldn't handle it. And he went outside, and it broke him because he disappointed the one he loved the most. Gosh, Jesus loved him by a look. There is power in a look. Sadly, we often use that power to express disapproval, to express anger, to express judgment, to express hurtful things instead of showing love. You've heard it. You've probably said it. If looks could kill, I'd be dead. You've heard that, right? Because that's how we experience looks. It's like hateful, spiteful, disappointed looks that could kill. However, if we communicate love with our look, it becomes powerful. And you need to know this. Kids long for the look of love. They long for it. I mean, as a parent, and now even as a grandparent, I see it. I didn't recognize it in me as a kid, but boy, I see it as a parent and a grandparent. Because whenever they're in a program or in an athletic event, their eyes keep darting back to the parents. It's like, are you looking? Are you looking? Are you watching? The only thing that matters is what dad and mom think or what grandma and grandpa think. That's the only thing that matters. And you know, when they look and you're looking, and it's not a look of disapproval, it's a look of approval, you can just see them swell with confidence and courage and security and comfort and pride. I'm doing great. When when I went to kids' programs, you know, first of all, you have to know I only went because Roxanne made me. That's the first thing you need to know. I mean, and when I went, I didn't care about your kids. I really didn't. Uh, Now, I know I'm an evil human being. I'm really, really sorry, but I cared about my kids being there, right? That's the only reason I was there. I wasn't there for your kids. I was there for my kids. And, And if you're honest, you were too. And so what I decided to do is I decided only to look at my kids. They were the best looking ones there anyway, you know, uh, And so, yeah, but I I decided only to look at my kids because I didn't want them to look at me and see me not looking at them. And so they're on the field, and and I blew it at times, and I was flawed, and I gave my son some interesting looks at sports events at times, but, but I really wanted my kids to know I loved them. And so when they looked, they saw me looking. You could just see the pride. There is power in a look. There is power in a look of love. And that's what they want. Unfortunately, 
That's not usually the look they get because we assume they know we love them, right? And so the looks they're used to us giving are the looks of disappointment and the looks of hurt, the looks of judgment. So no matter how much you love your kids, if your looks don't communicate love, what do they see? How do we deliver love? By a word. By a word. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Loving words have healing power. I mean, I just had a, a birthday this last week, and I'm, I'm 55, 55 years old now. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's really good to be this close to heaven. Let me just tell you, it's really good. Um, but I <laughs> here I am, 55 years old, right? And when I have a difficult day, the one thing that brings greater healing to my life than anything else are words of love from my wife or my kids. I mean, it just makes my life. This last week, unassociated with my birthday, actually, um, one of my daughters sent a little text. I love texting and sent me a text just really affirming her love for me in a special way. And it was in the morning. It made my day. It made, I don't care what happened after that. Life began in those words for me. Words have power. Yet in everyday life, what do we do? We tend to forget the power of words, right? We assume everyone knows we love them. Come on. Of course we love them. And so we start throwing words around in less loving ways. And Roxanne and I are, are really good at this because Roxanne and I are both very verbal and very intense and very passionate and both of us always think we're right. And so you can understand the, the interesting stuff that can happen in the middle of that. And along the way, we had to intentionally decide that we were going to use words of affirmation, not just words of condemnation attack and it helped and we decided to do the same thing with our kids and so we started at each season of their life and we weren't perfect at this but I mean at each season of life looking for ways we could communicate intentionally with words love and so stuff like when they were really young metaphors like if every kid in the entire world imagine Blake, Chris, Allen, imagine every kid in your classroom every kid in your school, every kid in every school in America, every kid in every school around the world were in a line we wouldn't stop walking that line until we found you because we love you God gave you to us it's like whoa and so when we were at Disney World we say you see all the kids in the world right here right now we paid to go on one ride in an entire day and I want you to know we're hanging with you and not with them you know it was like we wanted them to know love. We wanted to do the words. And we've done it all the way through life at different seasons with each other, Roxanne and I, and with our kids. And now our kids actually do it with us. It's really neat. For example, you know, every once in a while, one of my kids will say, hey, Dad, can I get your walker for you? You know, I mean, they're, they're trying to speak words of affirmation and love into my life, you know. How do you deliver love? By a touch. By a touch. In Jesus' day, leprosy was a big disease. Leprosy is a skin disease that literally rots the human body until limbs fall off and ultimately the person dies. And it's, it's transferred through contact. And so the only way to prevent getting leprosy was by 
staying away from them. So they isolated lepers from people. You know what happened when you got leprosy? Probably one of the worst prison sentences in the world. You never got touched again. Never. Gosh. Look what Jesus did in Mark 1. Verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, filled with love, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And after touching the man, he said, I'm willing, be clean. Before he healed him of his leprosy, what did he do? He gave him what he most needed in this world. Because he loved him, he touched him. Man, there's power in a touch. There's power in it. When it's used appropriately, touch can powerfully communicate love. It communicates care. It soothes pain. It calms fears. It reduces stress. It brings comfort. It gives emotional security. Do you know why we live in a world with so much emotional insecurity, so much discomfort, so much stress and anxiety, ruled by fear, filled with pain? It's because we live in a world where there isn't much touch for the purpose of communicating love. Have you ever noticed how, how children by nature, can't stand sitting at any distance from you. So if you, if you sit down on the same couch that they're sitting on or in the same chair, it's like they keep scooting over until they're like on you. It's like, get away, little rug rat. You know, it's like, it's like they're, it's all about the love. You know, it's like uh, they, they keep scooting closer and closer. Why? Because we have a natural longing for touch. Until we take it away by using touch in inappropriate or harsh ways. And then we destroy it. Touch is a powerful tool for communicating love and hatred, by the way. Because touch takes it to the next level. Fact is, it, it's natural between all of us human beings. Roxanne still does what little kids do. To this day, we'll be sitting in different places comfortably watching TV. And all of a sudden, she'll plop down right next to me. Like right on me. And I'll say, go back to your own chair. You know, I mean, it's like, but we, we want to be close. We want touch unless we've been ruined to it. We communicate love by a deed, by an action. Look at how God did it in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he did something about it. He gave. Have you ever heard this? I can't hear what you're saying for the loudness of your life. I can't hear what you're saying for the loudness of your life. You know what it's saying. It's saying, I hear you telling me you love me, but I'm not getting it. You say, I love you, and then you leave and go to work. You say, I love you, and you leave and go hang with your friends. You say, I love you, but you're living your life absent from me. You're making no sacrifices to be with me. I can't hear what you're saying because of the loudness of your life. And, and I'm sure you've thought of this already, but more often than not, we experience the power of a look, the power of a touch, the power of a word, the power of a deed in negative ways. Well, we need to turn that around. We need to, we need to use these powerful instruments to communicate what everyone needs, love. I'm going to tell you, when I look inside my relationship with Roxanne and my relationship with my kids kind of scares me sometimes when I think about what the primary look they get from me is. What the primary words they get from me are. What the primary 
touch they get from me if they get touch and what the primary actions they get. Even if I provide the great house or great education, great opportunity, if they don't have the right look or the right word or the right touch or the right actions from me, they can feel unloved as much as I love them. And if they feel unloved by me as much as I love them, you know what they're going to do? They're going to make their home somewhere else with maybe the wrong people and in the wrong places. And the same is true for you. And yet, I just find it's not always easy to deliver the right kind of love. Number one, it's so much bigger than I am. And number two, I mean, I'm experiencing real life, aren't you? It's like, man, most days don't go right. Most days go wrong. And when things are going wrong, my look tends to be wrong. And my words tend to be wrong. And my touch tends to be wrong. And my actions tend to be wrong. And man, this is the world I'm supposed to create love for my family in? It's got to be intentional. And here's what I have found. I don't have the love to give to my family. In a world where love is so starved, unless I'm constantly attached to the well of God's love. What is love's source? We've seen love described. We've seen love demonstrated. We've seen how love can be delivered. But, but what's the source for love? So even when the world's going to hell, I can still give a little touch of heaven's love to it. I mean, what is the source? Well, look at 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. I can love in the midst of the worst days with my look, with my words, with my touches, with my actions, if I'm experiencing his love. And therein lies the problem, isn't it? We come to church and we sing about his love. We come to church and we hear about God's love, but... We're just not experiencing it on a daily basis. And when we're not experiencing it on a daily basis, it's like trying to get water to your sink when you're not attached to your well. We need his love on an ongoing basis. And some of you who know Jesus, you've experienced his love in the past, aren't loving as you ought because you're not experiencing his love as you ought on a daily basis. He's there. We're just not experiencing it. We're too busy to see his look. We're too busy to hear his word. We're too busy to feel his touch. We're too busy to see his actions. And then we're the same thing with those we love. I, I want to end with two questions. Here, here's the first question. It's very, very important. Have you ever, ever really experienced his love? I didn't say, have you ever been in a place where people are experiencing his love? That's not what I asked. I haven't said, have you ever met anyone who's been, have you, have you ever been in an environment where it's like his love is there? That's not, have you ever experienced his love? Not his religion, not his truth, his love. If not, no wonder you're having a hard time with this. We love because he first loved us. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. We who hated him were his enemies, were running from him. He sent his son into the world that we could live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, we didn't, but that he loved us and was willing to send his son as an atoning, a covering, a forgiving sacrifice for our sins. Jesus came so that you could know God's love 
And until you know God's love, you'll never be able to deliver God's love. Have you experienced it? Just before I ask the last question, and it's quick, but before I do, would you just take a moment to bow in prayer with me? Just a moment. Just honor this moment. If you're a believer already, I just encourage you to be analyzing if you've been experiencing his love recently and then apply that to whether those that know you have been experiencing his love through you. But for those of you who are here and you say, I just don't think I've ever experienced his love, why not open yourself to it now? Why not pray with me right now? Just take my words, make them yours. Say to God, Father, I need more than anything your love in my life. I don't deserve it. I've, I've sinned against you. I've run from you. I've done my own thing. But because you love me, I know Jesus died for my sin. And I'm trusting you to forgive me. And then he rose again. I'm trusting you to give me new life. Help me experience your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me and you're in one of our live campus settings, I just, I just can't encourage you enough to let us know. I, you know, it, it's important for me to know that God is using what we're doing here to move you further in your relationship with God. And if you just prayed with me, I just love to know it. And in the program we give you, we give you this connection card and you just have to tear it out, fill it out, and on the bottom, check that circle off and say, hey, I prayed with you. I, I was moved to open my life to his love. And then as you're leaving, at every exit, there are boxes. You just throw it in there and we'll give you a letter. We'll send you a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. If you're watching online, you can just hit the wet next button and we'll do the same thing for you. But here's how I want to end the talk and the series. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let's just love one another. In a world where everyone expresses hatred and disappointment and judgment with their looks, with their words, with their touches, with their actions, let's love one another. And here's the reason why. Because love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, of course, because we love when we first have experienced his love. But whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. The family was put on earth so that we could provide what every human needs most. Love in that context. And so the best question I think that I can ask you as we close out this talk in this series is this one. Are you demonstrating and delivering the love that God described? Are you demonstrating it? Are you delivering it? Are your looks known for love? Are your words known for their love? Are your touches and your actions known for love? If not, even if your heart is filled with love, it's not being translated to others. It's time to translate it. And don't stop with your family because everybody at work and everybody in your neighborhood and everybody in the world needs the same kind of love and when they see it in your look, when they hear it in your words, when they get it in your touch, and when they see it in your actions, they want what you have, and what you have is God's love. Let's light up the world with it. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.